0: Good morning. So who are we speaking about today? Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Good. What's Nehemiah known for? Right. We're building the walls of Jerusalem. We were studying at the uh, What Christian believe class today. The name of the chapter, I believe, was The Life That Counts. The Life That Counts. Would you say that Nehemiah lived a life that counted? Good. Well, I I agree with that. And, uh, how about you? Do you want to live a life that counts? I do. Right, the book of Nehemiah, we are talking uh, again at, uh, actually this is in our character study series, this is the last time we'll be talking about uh, an Old Testament character, at least chronologically, if Dan wants to throw a, an Old Testament character into our mix of New Testament characters, he may do so. But uh, this closes as far as the historical progression of the life, lives we've seen in the Old Testament, uh, it is after Israel was already exiled to Babylon, Israel actually was to Assyria, Judah was to Babylon, the nation was practically destroyed, God just saved the remnant of people, and then after 70 years, he led uh, actually a pagan king, Cyrus, to proclaim and say, hey, you know, who among you people would like to go back and rebuild his temple? The God of heaven wants me to do it, and uh, some people respond, we saw Zerubbabel responded, and he went back with. We estimate uh, anywhere between 150 and 200,000 uh, men, women, and children. And then uh, they rebuild the temple. After 50 years or so, Ezra comes along. He brings maybe 5,000 people. And we talked about the fact that uh, Ezra's main purpose was a spiritual one. He wants to restore spiritual worship to Israel. And he comes and he finds spiritual destitution. The people are not really worshiping God. They're not really serving God. And he begins his ministry of teaching the Word of God faithfully. But it's not until 13 years later that revival strikes the nation of Israel. And the people are finally restored spiritually to the Lord. And that happens in the book of Nehemiah, chapters 8 through 10. What happened before then? Well, before then happens that thing which triggered that revival. The work that Nehemiah did was of such value to the nation... It, it's the spark that God needed to trigger the revival that swept the nation in uh, chapter 8 through 10. What was that work? Someone mentioned it was the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. Uh, but what we want to really focus on is the person of Nehemiah. We're doing a character study. We're trying to get valuable characters out of these people that we can apply to our own lives. We said that Nehemiah lived the life that counted. What were the character characters? traits of Nehemiah that resulted in him living the life that counts. What was he like? What can we learn and adopt from him if we want to live the life that counts? So that's what we want to look at today. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 1 and we'll read through verse 10. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Ahaliah, it came to pass in the month of Kislev, In the 20th year, as I was in Shushan, the Kitadel, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, The survivors who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So it was, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned for days, for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now day and night for all the children of Israel, your servant, and confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you, both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens, yet I I will gather them from there and bring them to the place which I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Now these are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. The first character trait we learn from Nehemiah is his heart for the people of God or the things of God. He uh, has a job, in front of the king. He's the king cupbearer, a very important person, a very high-level servant. And he lives in wherever the king is. Wherever the king travels, he'll be with him. And he runs into uh, his brother and some other Jews who have just recently returned from Judah, from Jerusalem. They've seen the state of the people of God. And he wants to know how the people of God are doing. And he asks them. And they have bad news for him. The people of God were not doing well at the time. Now, Obviously, the whole region is, has been conquered by uh, the various empires of Assyria, Babylon, Persia. Persia is ruling over them, but there's still uh, some sort of self-governance. Uh, different nations or people group are allowed to govern themselves within that certain sphere. Different provinces will have different governors. And uh, the, nation, the people that have returned are not doing well. They're being oppressed by, if you would, these provinces or nations that are around them. We'll, we'll see that more later on. Uh, the Jerusalem, which is the capital, really shows the state of the people. The the walls are still broken down. They're still burnt with fire. Uh, it's it's a terrible situation that the people of God are, are in. And we see how it gets to Nehemiah. It says that he wept and he mourned for many days. You can tell he really loved the people of God. He was uh, he had a heart for the for the things of God, and that's really the first thing that God. Once from us, if if we are to be used by him to do some great work to live the life that counts, the first place he's really looking for is in our hearts. God is not interested in us just doing dead works; he wants us to love him, and to serve him out of love for him. And and just there, that counts. He says to David after David wants to rebuild the temple, God tells him, "So you know, that's not my plan, but as much as it was in your heart, that's good. God is pleased to see in us a desire." to do his things, a love for the things of God, an appreciation for the things of God. And, and that was in Nehemiah's heart very cl- clearly here. The second uh, character trait we see about Nehemiah is that he was a man of prayer. He went to God for the things that, that he believed God wanted. And I confess, it's an area that I tend to struggle with. I, I know that God is all-powerful, he's all-wise, he's sovereign. Why does he need me to tell him what to do? But the Bible doesn't paint that picture of prayer. It's not a useless saying something. God is waiting for us to say things. It says this in Ezekiel 22.30. God is speaking and he says, And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. And he talks about the time that the nation of Israel was sinning against God and God's judgment needs to come upon these people. God's righteousness requires it. Now, it's not the first time this happened. It happened multiple times. And yet people would stand before God and remind him of his love and mercy and grace for the people, his promises. And they, it's it is as if they they bring down from heaven the grace and the mercy of God upon these people, like Moses. Again, God was displeased with the nation of Israel when they made a calf and worshipped the calf in the desert instead of worshipping God. And he was going to destroy them, but Moses stood before him and said, God, show me your loving kindness you've been talking about. Remember what you've done with his people. You brought them out. What will the nation say if you destroy these people you brought out of Egypt? They're going to misunderstand. He's calling down really God's own character to uh to bring mercy and grace uh to to God's people. And that's what Nehemiah is really doing here. He confesses their sinners. He knows that the nation doesn't deserve anything from God. But He remembers God's promises of how God said that after they would be scattered, when they repented and turned back to the Lord, God would bring them back. And he's asking God to be their people and manifest himself. The fact that God's people are in a terrible state among the nations really speaks ill of the Lord, because they said, well, we worship the Lord, Jehovah, he is our God. And when they're in such a pathetic state around with the other nations around them, it really brings a bad nation on the God that they a bad name on the God they claim to own. And so Nehemiah is really asking, Lord, manifest yourself. Uh, he uses the word such as great uh, in uh, in verse uh, 10, your great power and your strong hand. Let us see it. You have a great power. In us. We want to see it manifested in the lives of your people. Uh, and, and that's what Nehemiah does. And it brings that, that uh, really, the rest of the book of Nehemiah is an answer to this prayer it's God God manifesting himself uh, for his people and God wants us to be doing the same things the scripture says that we have not because we ask not we don't think about it god has many wonderful promises for us in this book and a lot of time we just kind of sit there you know maybe in front of our tv and waiting on god to just be pouring down his blessings on us when we're not even asking i i love my daughters very much and you know sometimes my daughters uh would want something. My daughter would want maybe a a cup of uh, chocolate milk. And she can't make it yet. She does need me to make it for her. And, you know, if she asks me and says, Daddy, can I please have a cup of chocolate milk? I'm very happy to make it for her. But if she were to sit in in front of a movie and, you know, sitting there, you know, looking at her watch, you know, and then burst and, Where's my chocolate milk, Dad? (laughs) Well, wait a second. (laughs) There's something wrong with this picture. You haven't even asked me. Yes, I'm happy to give it to you. Yes, I can give it to you. But you haven't even asked me. And God sometimes wants us to ask. In fact, God always wants us to ask. He, he's ready. He has his blessings, But we need to come forth and, and claim them, ask for them. Let's pick up in verse 11 of chapter 1. O oh Lord, I pray, please let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servant's. Who desire to fear your name and let your servant prosper this day, I pray, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. For I was the king's cupbearer. And it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. Then I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said to me, What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. So the king said to me, the queen also sitting beside him, how long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. So here we have a third uh, character trait of Nehemiah. He, he didn't just have things in his heart, he didn't just pray for the things of the Lord, but he was now offering himself for the service of God, he had a good job. He uh, was really one of the, in some sense, one of the top persons in the empire for no other reason that he had the king king's ear available to him. And uh, he's offering himself to the Lord to be the person to to ask the king to send himself to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And he's more than really giving up his job here; he's really risking his own life. Because as far as the kings of Persia was concerned, the happiest place on earth was his throne room. And for you to come to his throne room sad, there was something wrong with that picture. And uh, it it wouldn't have been completely unexpected if the king would have taken this rather ill and would have decided to get rid of Nehemiah maybe in, in multiple painful ways. And yet, uh, obviously, the Lord, uh, the Lord was in this. This wasn't just Nehemiah uh, completely stepping out. He was doing what the Lord wanted him to do. But again, he was offering himself here uh, for the Lord's service. And uh, and that's obviously one of the things we need to do. If I want God to use me, if I want to live the life that counts, I have to offer myself to the Lord's service. We uh, often quote uh, this verse, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. God wants us to offer himself for his service. He's not going to take us against his will. If we want him to do something with our life, we need to offer our life to him to do something with. Let's pick up in chapter 2, in verse 17. So now Nehemiah has come into the land. He's, by the way, received some uh, letters of authority from the king that Allow him to be there and do exactly what he's doing. (coughs) And so now he speaks to uh, the Jews in Jerusalem about it. Chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies waste, and its gates are burned with fire. Come and let us build the walls of Jerusalem, that we may no longer be a reproach. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also of the king's words, that he had spoken to me. So they said, let us rise up and build. Then they set their hands to do this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab, heard of it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king? So I answered them and said to them, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem. So we see here what seems like a great start. Nehemiah gets the Jews together, he talks to them, and they're like, yeah, let's build. This is great. Well, as soon as there's any kind of progress, opposition comes up. And uh, the opposition in this case, we have uh, three guys that are mentioned. Uh, Sanballat was probably the governor of Samaria, which would be the province just to the north of Jerusalem. Um Tobiah is an interesting character. He was probably a Jew or at least a half-Jew and was allied to many of the important Jews by marriage. He married the daughter of some important Jew and his son married the daughter of some important Jew. So he's kind of in among them. But he, he is the governor of, Am- of the province of Ammon, which would be just to the east of Jerusalem. And then, last of all, we have Geshem, uh, the Arab. The Arabs were generally dwelt to the south of the nation of Israel, but they were somewhat nomadic, and it's possible that as a result of the land being depopulated by the wars with uh, Babylon, that some tribe migrated north, and he was probably the chieftain or perhaps the king of, of this Arab tribe, and so he would be just to the south of Jerusalem. And all of them are not happy about what Nehemiah is doing because he's basically establishing uh, a power base or a protective wall for the Jews, that would give the Jews some amount of independence from them. Right now, the Jews were basically under their thumb. They could do to them whatever they want to. And they're not willing to give up over this power that they had over the Jews. So what Nehemiah is doing is against what they want to see happening. Now, it's neat to me as I look, uh, I love seeing this in the Old Testament pictures of New Testament truth. And we want to be careful that we don't build our theology based on pictures but a lot of time the pictures do illustrate, uh, truth we find in the, in the New Testament. And this particular, uh, enemies are a good picture of the type of opposition we face. We want to live the life that counts. We want to serve God with our life. Well, you're going to run into some opposition, let me tell you. And that opposition, uh, we typically, uh, break up into three categories. It's, it's the devil, or it's the flesh, or it's the world. And it's neat to see that there's three for us and there were three for Nehemiah. And they correlate actually quite nicely. Uh, we we will probably find a sample that seems to represent perhaps uh, the devil or spiritual enemies and Tobiah will represent the flesh and Geshem will probably represent uh, the world in their opposition. Uh, and and I'll, I might comment as we look at the different type of opposition that Nehemiah runs into what it might represent, how it might reflect on the opposition we experience in our lives trying to serve the Lord, and how we can learn from how he dealt with that opposition and apply it to our lives as we want to deal with the opposition that we come across trying to serve the Lord. But the first lesson to be learned is really right here in these verses. You don't really have to look much further than uh, uh, verse uh, 20. It's really his response to them. Remember, this would be, three extremely powerful men in his neighborhood, probably the three most powerful men that he and the Jews would have to deal with. And you could imagine him being perhaps concerned, boy, these guys are opposing. What's my chance of building the walls of Jerusalem when my enemies are all around me already? And uh, But yet he uh, basically tells them off. He says, you have no heritage right here. Look, this is our place. <laughs> you know, We're, we're going to build it. We're going to be the people in charge here. You you have no place in here. He basically uh, tells them off. The other thing is, he's trusting in the Lord. He says in verse 20, the God of heaven himself will prosper us. He's, he's continuing to trust that God will deliver him from this opposition that he's facing. Okay. Um, I don't know about you, but I know about me. <laughs> and uh, I can often become discouraged over... Uh, um, Losing to the spiritual opposition in my life, uh, feeling that I'm under the power of the flesh, I'm, I'm yielding to the flesh, I'm under the power of the world, I'm following the world instead of following the world. Uh, maybe something happens to me that's, that's it's the devil's work, and I'm completely discouraged about it. I remember uh, driving in the car about a year ago and listening to a sermon uh, on my uh, radio, uh, my car CD. And uh, it quoted uh, the verse found in Second uh, Peter 1.4. His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it went through my mind. And God is promising to us that he will give us the power against the spiritual enemies or against the opposition that we experience. He says he's given to us all things, this is Second Peter 1 4. He's given us all things that pertain to life in godliness. He's saying, I've given you everything you need, Noah, to live the victorious life in Christ. And it clicked with me. I believed that verse. And it gave me such joy and peace and power, simply taking God as His word. He said that He will help me live the Christian life He calls me to live. And he will provide the power. And to me, that was one of the uh, life-changing experiences that I have. Not we are, we are saved by faith in the Lord and what he did for us on the cross. And yet he wants us to take possession of the things he made available for us in our Christian He wants us to live the victorious Christian life. And that happens by faith. You have to believe God, just like Nehemiah was here believing God, that God will help us against the opposition. I can't count the power of the flesh, the power of the world, the power of the devil. Certainly, it's greater than what I can come up with myself, but God has put into me his resources to enable me to still live the victorious Christian life. And what we need to be careful of is that we don't become discouraged and give up and say, well, that's just me. I guess, yeah, there's George Mueller and, you know, there's Bill McDonald's, and yes, they can live the Christian life and do great things for God, but not me. You know, I, I just can't do it. Well, that's not true. God has given you the same resources that he's given them. He wants you to take advantage of them and live the life that he wants you to live. You have to believe him. Like Nehemiah was here believing him. Let's uh, move on to chapter 4 and verse 7. We're not going to be able to cover everything here. We'll just have to... Uh, Pick and choose our battles. And they uh, really pick and choose the battles that Nehemiah had to go through. So Nehemiah chapter 4 and verse 7. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed that they became very angry. So now they're rebuilding the walls, and they're getting some progress. They're closing the gaps in the walls of Jerusalem. And all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, The strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversary says, They will neither know nor see anything, till we come into the midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set the people, according to their families, with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their counsel to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. All right. So we have here the first attack <coughs> that's uh, that's coming against Nehemiah, and this was really going to be uh, what we would call a military ex- expedition. But, it wasn't going to be a declared war. They're not telling them, okay guys, you know, you're disobeying us or you're not doing what we're telling you to do, so we're gonna go to war against you and, you know, watch out, we're coming. It was a sneak attack. They weren't aware of the, They weren't supposed to know it was happening. Obviously, the Lord revealed the fact the attack was coming to Nehemiah and the Jews, but they weren't supposed to know about it. It was gonna be a sneak attack. And really what they're trying to do is, is, is kinda knock them off their feet. Is confuse them or stop the work to, to, now, some people might get hurt, some people might die, but really they're just trying to, to uh, discourage the people, to confuse them, to get them sidetracked from what they were working on, so that the work will stop, so that they'll sp- stop rebuilding the walls. Now, I mentioned, I think, that San Balat was perhaps a picture of the devil or spiritual attacks, and that's really what uh, the devil a lot of the time will do, or, or spiritual attacks will do, is, it, is they'll sideswipe us. He really just tries to knock us. Let me read uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. You could turn there if you wish. <coughs> Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. to stand. So, the Bible clearly teaches we have spiritual enemies, our battles. When we when we want to serve the Lord, when we want to live a life that counts for God, we're getting involved in spiritual battles. God is in this world. He is trying to reach lost sinners, save them and bring them to himself. It's a spiritual work. Satan is in this world and he is trying to stop God. And if you're involved in the work that God will do, sooner or later Satan will start battling against you. You're, you're entering spiritual battles. Now, certainly, uh, bad things happen to everyone, but Satan is still able to cause things to happen, and he, he causes them to happen with the purpose of knocking you off your feet. He wants to discourage you, to confuse you, to stop you from serving the Lord in the way you've been serving the Lord. And that's what this passage in Ephesians 6 is talking about. Uh, in verse 13, it says, "Wherefore, take unto you the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day." And having done all, to stand. So there's an evil day coming. Something bad is going to happen to you. And if we wonder, well, what kind of things can the devil do? Well, they, uh, they, they. Perhaps the easiest story to go to in the Bible is that of Job. Job. Everything is laid out before us. We see the spiritual reality that are going on. The devil comes and he, he talks to the Lord. The Lord talks to the devil. And, uh, you know, God is, is is pointing out how he has a faithful servant on the earth and uh, and the devil wants to uh, prove his point. And God allows, he gives some measure of, of authority to the devil to, to try to test Job. And the devil just throws everything at Job that he, that he has. And, uh, you know, praise the Lord, we're probably not going to have everything that happened to Job happen to us. But some of these things were like t- killing his children. Job lost people that he dearly loved. Uh, taking away all his livelihood. Job was a wealthy man. He had herds and servants and Satan took that all away from him. And that can certainly happen today. Losing a job, losing a house, losing uh, some your savings or your uh, retirement funds. All these things can be taken away from you. Um, being struck by a disease, uh, the devil struck Job with a serious disease. You could, uh, he could do the same to you. He can strike you with uh, a serious, uh, painful uh, disease. I'm thankful for we haven't endured anything very serious. But in the last uh, two months, I think there were maybe two weeks that all my family could actually be here. We've been having colds, so or my son has croup right now. The purpose of the devil is to knock you off your feet. He wants you to lose your focus on serving the Lord. And the solution for that, we see, is that if you were paying attention in the passage, it was really getting to some of the Jews. Some of them were beginning to like get really discouraged, uh, being upset about all the rubbish that they had to get through to try to rebuild the wall. Uh, there was an exaggeration of the power of the enemies. Wherever you go, they'll find you. But Nehemiah stands and he basically says, Okay, guys, you know, God gave you armor. In that case, it was it was physical armor. Put it on. Okay, stand in the gaps. If they come against you, fight against them. Remember, God he is really powerful. You know, He's going to help you out, and uh, and that works. In fact, the attack never came. As soon as they saw men in armor waiting in the gaps of the walls, the enemy didn't even want to fight them. And uh, that's really what we should do. And in fact, uh, Ephesians six really uh, talks about that. It talks about the armor that God gave us and the purpose. In God giving us the armor is that we might be able to stand in the evil day. God doesn't want us to get confused and discouraged and stop serving him when something bad happens to us. He wants us to put on the whole armor of God that we might be able to still stand. By standing he means continue to serve him. Keep our focus on the things of the Lord in spite of whatever it is that the devil might throw upon us. And if you are concerned, well, you know, how do I do it? What's the armor? Give us more. Well, I'll have to refer you to a message, uh, actually two messages that we, were preached a couple of years ago, sorry, ten years ago uh, by Rick Bellis about uh, the armor of God. So the message has been preached. All you have to do is go to uh, uh, calvarychapel.net uh, and uh, we have it on our website. So if you haven't, there you go. So uh, you, you have accessible to you additional resources. We have a website. We uh, record our messages and we upload them to the web. So If you go there, there's a link to the messages and you can just go back 10 years and uh, pull out the two messages that we preached about the armor of God and you'll find out what you have to do. Let's look at the next battle or attack and that will be in chapter 6 and verse 1. So Nehemiah, we're back in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6 and verse 1. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there were no breaks left in it, though at that time I had not hanged the doors in the gates, that Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, let us meet together in one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down (coughs) to you? But they sent me this message four times and I answered them in the same manner. Then Sanballat sent his servant to me as before with the fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says, that you and the Jews plan to rebel. Therefore, according to these rumors, you are rebuilding the world, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets to proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem, saying, there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king. So come, therefore, let us take counsel together. So I sent to him, saying, no such thing as you say are being done, but you invent them, in your own heart. Well, what do we have going on here? So here we have the main propagator of this attack is actually Geshem. Now, we still have Sanballat involved, but that uh, still fits with our picture because really uh, the world and the flesh are among the tools that the devil uses against us. He's, he's really the arch enemy of the things of God, but he will use the flesh and the world. Well, Geshem, we said, represents the world. And uh, what Geshem is trying to do here to Nehemiah is he's trying to get Nehemiah to uh, come and, and meet with them and uh, involve them in his plans to become king. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking, well, Nehemiah, probably his real motivation in all this, he wants to become the king. So we'll offer, we'll somehow help him. Now, they weren't really there to help him. They would probably kill Nehemiah if he came out. But they were suggesting to him that, hey, come out. You want to be king? We can talk about it. We'll work it out. We'll make our councils together. Okay, come out, come out. And uh, that's, that's really the strategy uh, that the world uses against us. Uh, really, and, and I, I need to be careful when I'm saying the world, I'm not against people. God loves the people. God so loved the world, he sent his only son to save them. But the world system tries to make us happy without God. It tries to offer us what it thinks will make us happy. And it says, come on, play by our rules. And we'll give you what you want. And uh, uh, for me, I don't know. Uh, the devil always seems to. The world has different offers for different people. For me, recently, what I found is I've been distracted about my work. I've, I've had some exciting projects there, and like, if I can just get this to happen, you know, I'll be the star in the company. <laughs> you know, I'll 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 uh, get us the customer we want, or the type of business we want, or the profit margins that we need as a company. And uh, as a result, it's been infiltrating my life outside of work. There's nothing wrong with work. We should be working and and providing for our needs and and the needs of our wives, our children. Uh, but it's not supposed to take over us. So it would it was fine as long as I was doing it 40 hours a week. But when I'm bringing it home with me, you know, and I'm thinking about it as I'm lying in bed, well, there's really more important things for me to engage with. And that's really the purpose of this attack. It's to distract. Nehemiah from what Nehemiah was doing, to stop him from doing what he was doing. And the world, really, by offering things to us the negative impact upon us, it distracts us from what God has given us to do. I'm pursuing these other things instead of this job that God has given me. And uh, Nehemiah really teaches us how to deal with this. He says this, I am doing a great work. What I'm doing is a lot more important than what you guys want me to do. It's not, to be honest, Nehemiah wasn't even, even interested in becoming the king of these people. He was really there for the work that God was doing. and uh, We should apply it to ourselves. Nehemiah was doing a great work. Well, yeah, he was building the walls of Jerusalem. And we know there was a spiritual value in what he was doing. It would protect the people of God more effectively encourage them. And we'll see some of the other things that happen. But there is a great work going on today. Do you know what it is? Someone said, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not withstand. And he's not talking about our building extension. That's important too. But he's talking about saving people out of this world. People, uh, as much as God loves them, are not walking with God. We talked about us being like sheep that have gone astray. And uh, God wants to bring them into the relationship with himself he created them for. He wants to save them from... Their destiny of of uh, being separated from God, forever, and He's invited us to partake in that work. We can participate in the work of God. He can use us to build His church, to use us to help people come to know Him. That is a far greater work than Nehemiah was doing. And so, when the world presents us with this temptation, we should remember: Well, I'm doing a great work, and what I'm doing is more important. Well, yes, I'm sure that you know my company needs uh, you know some new product that will help them. Uh, be profitable, but it's not quite as important as reaching people and connecting them with the God that made them and giving, helping them find the relationship that God wants them to have with him. That's why God created them. That's why God created this universe. It wasn't for my company to be profitable. It was for the relationship he was going to have with people in this world. That's a great work and we should stay focused. We should stay focused on it. Uh, Next we have exact attack we see is in verse 10. Verse 10 of chapter 6 in Nehemiah. Afterward I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mechatabil, who was a secret informer. And he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple, and let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night... They will come to kill you. And I said, Should such a man as I flee? And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save his life? I will not go in. Then I perceived that God had not sent him at all, but that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat Balat had hired him. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way and sin so that they might have occasion for an evil report that they might reproach me. Okay, so if the last attack was spearheaded by Geshem, this one is spearheaded by Tobiah. Again, of course, San is still involved. But the particular uh, attack here is very insidious. First of all, they're using a person that Nehemiah doesn't realize is a bad guy yet. And uh, they're basically telling Nehemiah, look, there's a plot to assassinate you. They're going to come at night, and they're going to kill you. So, you need to run away. Let's run to the temple, shut the doors, and there you will be safe. Sounds pretty good. Well, there's some problems with it, with Nehemiah recognizes. First of all, he is the leader of the work. If he runs for cover, the work's going to stop. Okay, It's going to impact the work that the Lord is using him to do. Second of all, the temple wasn't designed as a hiding place. Okay, It was designed to worship God. That's what people. What people should use it. So really, for him to use the temple in that way would not just be hurting the people. It'll be hurting the Lord Himself. It would be a, some some sort of a of a blasphemy against the Lord. Using the Lord's things for other things that they were not designed to be used for. Um, I said that Tobiah was perhaps a picture of the flesh. How does the flesh oppose us? Well, um, the the flesh. If you take out the H and you reverse the order of the letters; it spells self. And uh, really, that's what the flesh tries to do. It tries to put self ahead of others. Self ahead of God. Self is number one, basically. I, I think of myself, I don't think of others. And that's what Tobiah was trying to do. He was trying to get Nehemiah to think about himself, not think about others, and not think about the Lord. Um, and really, the impact that would have had on Nehemiah... Was that they would be able to accuse Nehemiah? If Nehemiah runs for the temple, you know they can walk in the next day and see. Look at what Nehemiah is doing. Are you really going to follow this guy? You know he's 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 forsaking you guys. He's desecrating the house of the Lord. It would make him useless. Nehemiah would become useless for the work that God wanted him to do. And that's really what God. Uh, what uh, how the devil tries to use the flesh in our lives. Uh, he tries to tempt us to put ourselves before others. Put ourselves before the Lord. And as a result, we stumble in sin. It, it breaks our fellowship with the Lord, and we become useless for the work that the Lord is trying to do with us. Well, what do we do about it? Well, Nehemiah he showed us how. He said, I will not do it. And today we say, just say no. Say no. Right. And the, the Bible says in uh, Romans, Romans 8.13, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in that phrase, it actually talks about putting to death. Yes, I have a nature. And, and like Nehemiah had a really hard time telling, you know, is this an enemy? Is this a friend? It's tough for us because it's part of our nature. We have a sinful nature. And my sinful nature will encourage me to do things that are wrong. And the instructions of the Bible is put it to death. Put it to death. Whatever it's trying to tell you, just say no. Don't, don't feed your, your flesh. Put it to death. Uh, I've been wrestling lately with uh, a sleeping in. I used to be pretty good about getting up early in the morning and uh, spending some time in the Word, in prayer, maybe preparing for, for a sermon or Bible study. And lately I found, you know, you're lying there in bed and there's a little voice telling you, oh, just stay in bed a little bit longer. Oh, look at the clock. You probably have another, you know, 10 minutes to sleep. Of course, it's going to be an hour before you wake up again. But... uh but it is, it is difficult. And, and it's not always just uh, obvious sinful things. We might recognize if my flesh is tempting me to do uh, something that I know goes against what God says, it's a little easier. In this case, the temptation to Nehemiah would seem justifiable. I need to protect my life. That's really important. I need sleep. That's it. Re- my kids are sick. If I don't get my immune system up, I'm gonna get sick too. There's all kinds of reason I can think of to justify an action that's basically selfish. I'm serving myself. I'm not serving others. I'm not serving the Lord. And the Bible tells us, put it, put it to death. Put it to death. And it's interesting. Uh, nothing good would have come to Nehemiah from obeying it. The same thing is true for us. It says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. It's going to break my fellowship with the Lord. I'm not going to be happy. When I wake up an hour later in bed, I don't feel any better about my decision to sleep an extra hour. But when I put to death the things of the flesh, it says you will live. And it's true, I feel a lot better when I decide to get up and spend that time with the Lord. Really, that's how we experience the life that the Lord came to give us. Jesus said, I have come that they might have life, that they might have it more abundantly. Well, that comes at the cost of putting to death the things of the body, of the flesh, saying no. We need it. If we allow the flesh to come in, it breaks our fellowship with the Lord. If we say no to him, Now we're enjoying the life that God has given us to live. Okay. uh, To wrap it up, in the end of chapter 6, verse 15. So the world was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. When I ask you at the beginning of the meeting, what did Nehemiah do? And uh, I think most of you knew, well, he rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. Well, that was an important work, and it was the job that the Lord has given him to do. But the true value of what Nehemiah did, we really see in this verse, and it's also the true value of what comes out of us serving the Lord, is that it revealed the Lord. In verse 16, it, it talks uh about uh, the, the nations around the enemies being disheartened because they perceived that this work was done by God. They were able to see the hand of God is it. There was no uh, a supernatural miracle, so to speak, like uh, dividing the Red Sea in half. But it was very obvious to those who really watched what was happening, this could not be the work of man. The work of God is taking place. They were able to see it. And we might guess that from seeing that it was rebuilt in 52 days. That's got to be practically impossible without modern equipment to lift up those heavy stones and build the wall. I think the circumference of the world was over a mile for people to do in bare hands in fifty two days. But the Lord was in it and they were able to perceive. By Nehemiah following the Lord, he was manifest he was giving evidence of who God was. And it was a witness it was a witness, among other things, to the unbelievers. Those in the area were getting a chance to see, boy. You know, we were despising the Jews and thinking so little of them and the God But look at that. They do worship the true God. You know, We should listen to what they have to say about the Lord. It was a witness. It was a testimony to the people around them. That's really what God always wanted to do with the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be a witness to those around them by living the life God wanted them to live. By then receiving the blessing, they were going to be a testimony of God to the world. Now, you remember how I said earlier that uh, there was a revival that broke up after uh, Ezra was there for 13 years. That revival is going to break out in a few days. In a few days the revival was going to break out. The people that have seen what happened and went to the villages in town and told them about it, in three day, in a few days it was going to be the day of the blowing of the trumpets. It was going to be one of the feasts of the Lord and everybody was going to gather to Jerusalem. I don't know if you remember what happened, well they gathered to Jerusalem, maybe they've gathered before, but this time they were really interested in the word of God. They said, Ezra, bring out the book of the law. We want to hear what God has to say. And Ezra starts telling them, and they're, they're convicted in their hearts. They've seen the evidence of God. And now they're applying it to their own lives. It wasn't just a witness to unbelievers, it was an encouragement to the believers. Seeing the work of God being done through Nehemiah sparked other people's interest in the Lord, helped them Uh, desire what Nehemiah had, help them want what this God could give them in His law, following Him in, in the worship. And, uh, that's really what God wants to do with us. When, when we're talking about living the life that counts, doing the things that God wants to, uh, wants to do through us, it's an opportunity for God to manifest Himself in our life and to draw other people to Himself. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for an example such as Nehemiah. Lord, we confess that uh, we often don't feel uh, victorious in our Christian life. Often, for whether it is the uh, spiritual enemies or the world or the flesh, seem to have us down on our back, and we are not living for you. We're not experiencing the life that you've come to give us. Lord, we ask that that might change. That uh, We might experience your power in our life. Help us learn the lessons that uh, we see in the life of Nehemiah and see elsewhere in your word and apply them to our lives in living this life that pleases you and that you can use in the lives of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.